episode 11. I find their illogic and foolish emotions a constant irritant. And transfer out, freak! Two! I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass, and I'm all out of bubblegum. Cheap, lying, no good, rotten, fork-flushing, low-life, snake-licking, dirt-eating, inbred, overstuffed, ignorant, blood-sucking, dog-kissing, brainless, dickless, hopeless, heartless, fat-ass, bug-eyed, stiff-legged, spotty-legged, Worm-headed sack of monkeys! And now, together by live simulation via the internet, Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. Blah, 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 Hello and welcome to Two True Freaks. I'm your co-freak, Scott Gardner, and with me as always is my co-freak, former stunt and body double for Corey Feldman, Chris Honeywell. Hi, how you doing? Excellent, excellent. How are I, you tonight? I get, a, I get a lot of flack for having that job, you know, people think of it as kind of a joke job, but it was no joke. No, it's no, definitely not a joke, because I'm reading here in your bio, it says that while you were on the set of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, oh. that... Jesus Christ, it says in one of the stunt scenes you actually lost a testicle? Yeah. Yeah, God and they damn. never and they never found it either. It's somewhere in the it's somewhere in the subways of New York in the abandoned subways of New York. Ah. Uh-uh. Filmed on location. A lot of people didn't know that. Ah. Uh-huh. Ah, uh-huh. god damn, that hurts just thinking about it. Ay ay ay. Yeah, talk about secret of the ooze. <laughs> Well, I mean, at least your career has held up better than uh, than Corey Feldman's. Oh, anyway, I haven't sure. seen him in much of anything in uh, in quite a while. So is my liver, and so is my <laughs> brain, <laughs> for what that's worth. <laughs> uh. All right. Well, let's get into this. This is our monthly Mondays. That is the right term for this, right? Yes. Monthly Mondays. Chris came up with this term, and I'm still struggling to remember it. Monthly Monday's episode for comic books. This will be all comic book-related talk for this episode, in which we're just going to go through some things, do a little jabbering, gibbering, and then a little bit later on, we will start our reviews of... Do we want to give this away right at the beginning? Sure, why not? They probably read it in the intro. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> We'll be talking about The Walking Dead. We will be starting with issue one. We will, I, I think we agreed we're just going to do an issue per show on sure. these reviews. Um, these will be, for the most part, non-spoiler, meaning we're, we realize that by the time we're sitting down to record this episode, there are now 53 issues out. But what we're going to do is we're going to review them, discuss them, but we're going to do it in a way where we are going to try our very best not to spoil ahead. You know, so basically, if if you don't know about it, 
or if you're reading along with us for the very first time, Walking Dead number one, we're not going to say, oh, remember when this character that you're meeting for the first time in this issue dies horribly, you know, three issues later? We're not going to do that. We're, we we want to basically go as if we're reading it for the first time or, or whatever, you know, just not spoiling ahead. Yeah, but we will be discussing the storyline and all that, so I guess oh. it will be kind of a spoiler, but... Hopefully, most people who'd be interested in it right now have already been reading the book, and there's a lot of people who read that book. I I assume I think it's a really big seller, isn't it? Yeah, it's been very successful. Um, right, I don't so know much it... about the biz. <laughs> well, I mean, I I couldn't like quote you numbers or anything yeah. like that. I, mean, I know that it's uh, at least critically successful, which doesn't always equate to financial success although it's got to be doing something because if i you know half-ass know my facts straight which i don't really <laughs> um, didn't robert kirkman he, he just became a bigwig at image through this whole thing right he's it, now it one of the that he's one of the owners or something yeah or managing yeah, some, editors or something like that yeah yeah basically the walking dead is is the 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 book that floats that ship at image so yeah i mean the, it's doing that well anyway um all right so getting right into this episode um i just had a couple of quick things right at the beginning i wanted to give a quick shout out to a podcast that is quickly becoming you know right in my 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 favorites right in my top uh couple of, of shows to listen to right when it comes out it's called Super Future Friends. It's hosted by uh, Kristen and Adriana. I hope I'm pronouncing those names correctly. Um, it is based on the Legion of Superheroes. And basically, each one of their episodes reviews a comic book in roughly chronological order, um, starting with the Legion's first appearance and then just going through you know their subsequent appearances. Um, it's a lot of fun. It, 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 they make it fun because they, they review it very irreverently and just poking a lot of fun at the goofy, silly, Silver Age wackiness of those early issues. You know, they, they were done in a much more innocent and, and you know, simpler yeah. time. They were written more for kids, so a lot of the internal logic is really wacky. But uh, it's a lot of fun. Just give them a listen and uh, tell them Two True Freaks sent you. You can find them at feeds.feedburner.com slash superfuturefriends, all one word, superfuturefriends. Um, definitely give them a listen and support their show because it, it is very funny and well worth a listen. Um, just a quick aside, I, I, I just had a humorous thing to share Um you guys will remember quite a while back in our, what was it called, underappreciated TV shows episode that we did, I talked about a show that is sadly off the air now. Um, it was called Fantastic Four World's Greatest Heroes. It was an animated show, and uh, I, I thought it was excellent. It didn't get a whole lot of notice, and a lot of the fans that did notice it really ripped it up. They didn't seem to like it. They, they thought it was too manga-ish and all that. I really enjoyed the show. I thought it was cool. Um, but I kept holding on to like the last couple episodes. I just didn't want it to be over. Well, I finally sat down recently and uh, with my two boys, and we watched the, the end of the series. So sadly, it's all over for us. But uh, I thought it was funny. We were sitting watching this episode, and uh, my youngest boy, Logan, he looks over at me. He goes, 
wow, the CGI is really good in this episode. <laughs> Eight years old, this kid, you know? <laughs> Eight years old, and he's talking about CGI. I was just so proud. I thought that was really awesome. But he was right. The CGI was really good in the episode. So, uh, <laughs> you know, again, if you haven't checked that show out or you checked it out and dismissed it, you know, give it another look because it, it really was good. It got better as the series went on. And uh, Johnny Storm is just dead on in that, that show and he's he's absolutely hysterical and just the one-liners and different things he the different situations they put him in um definitely worth uh checking that show out if you like you know if you if you've thought some of the uh the marvel comics animated projects have been under par or what that's one that's actually really uh firing on all or was rather firing on all cylinders also a quick shout out to uh there's a show out there now called Wolverine and the X-Men. And man, that show is fantastic. I don't know where they're airing this show. Unfortunately, I've had to download all the episodes because it's not playing here on any of our stations. I mean, I'm on uh, I'm on Dish Network, and we get like 500 channels, and I can't find this show anywhere in any of the listings. So I've just been downloading it. Um, but it's great. I mean, top-notch animation. The, the voice casting is really good. And uh, I mean, if you just, if you like, you know, really good X-Men stuff, you know, this, this is right on par with like the uh, astonishing X-Men um, comics. I mean, it's, it's very similar, the, the costuming and stuff like that. I, I've really been digging it so far. I've never heard of it. Yeah, it just came out. It just started. And, and when I first saw it, I thought, well, I have to check this out because the animation style looked very similar to uh, X-Men Evolution. If you watch that show. But a lot of the hardcore X-Men fans didn't like X-Men Evolution because it set the X-Men as, like, teenagers operating out of, like, a high school or something. So, it, you know, for the purists, they didn't really dig it. Well, this show, this Wolverine and the X-Men, I mean, it's pretty faithful. I mean, it, it's going right along with basically, you know, the the established continuity and all that. So, I mean, I've really been digging it. I thought it was cool. And, I like that basically they're finally acknowledging that, look, the X-Men really is all about Wolverine, so why don't just put him front and center? And that's right. what he, in this, he's basically, he's front and center. The one that I just watched was uh, basically the professor put Wolverine in charge, which thoroughly pissed off Cyclops, because Cyclops is supposed to be the leader, but, you know... He's the because more rational the, one, and... yeah. But, you know, because Wolverine is the more popular one, right. you know, and the show is called Wolverine and the X-Men, they put, you know, the professor put Wolverine in charge. And, and there was just a great moment where where you could see Cyclops was basically stalking off saying, oh, screw this, you know, and I, I like that. It was a really good moment. And there's you guys. I'm going yeah. home. <laughs> yep. That was it. That was it. Exactly. Um, all right. I had a quick, 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 I promise I'm going to do this quick, review for you. This was an audiobook of the Kevin, what's this guy's name, Kevin Anderson. He's written a couple of, uh, of Star Wars. I know he's a fairly prolific author. The only thing I'm really aware of him from is from the um, Star Wars books. He wrote the, I think they're called the Jedi Academy Trilogy, something like that. Um, this was a book called The Last Days of Krypton. Um, just recently came out in paperback. Um, I was going to pick this book up, and then I discovered that there was an unabridged audiobook for it. So I gave the audiobook a listen. And 
I've got to say, this is a weird one for me because it, it, it's it's something where I, I want to give it a thumbs up, but at the same rate, there was a lot of stuff that really bugged me about it. And the biggest thing that bugged me about it was I'm a continuity wonk. I'm really a stickler for continuity. I like my things to all fit together in a neat little package. While this is a pretty good read, I mean, it's a pretty good book, and it's it's fairly interesting. It moves right along. It kept, it kept my interest. Ultimately, it felt very pointless to me because it doesn't fit anywhere. It's not part of comic book continuity. It's not part of the movie continuity. It's just kind of its own thing thrown out there, which kind of makes me look at it and go, huh? You know, it's like, what's the point? I mean... I guess the point of a book is just to be a book, but you know, when you take something that's part of a of a mythos, you know, like Superman or Star Trek or Star Wars or whatever, you can't really just kind of throw it out there. You know what I mean? People like me are gonna, you know, get an aneurysm trying to think of where the hell does this fit? And it doesn't fit anywhere. It's it's its whole individual continuity. That aside, though, it was a good book. It, you know, it was a good science fiction tale of basically the last year or so of Krypton, and you know, it, it follows pretty closely Jor-el and how he met Lara and how they fell in love, and uh, it, it the the big subplot is with Zod. And how he staged his coup to take over the planet. Um, well, that doesn't the, sound too far out of continuity so far. It, it it doesn't sound that way, but then when you read it, if you're really up on the comics, it, it's you know it, it doesn't follow that at all. It really you know, but the biggest thing that I, I really liked about the book that I thought was it was surprising that they did it, and it was surprisingly well done. Was that Zorel, um, Jorel's brother and eventual father to Supergirl, um, is a b- big player in this book, and I really like that. I really liked that. You know, Kevin Anderson definitely knows the mythos, even if he doesn't necessarily follow the con- you know any of the established continuity or anything. He basically blazes his own trail, but he uses a lot of characters that you wouldn't immediately think. I mean, who thinks of Zorel? I mean, I, I would venture a guess that a lot of people don't even know who the hell Zor-El is. But he uses him and uses him to really good effect. I liked that. I thought that was really interesting that it wasn't just, you know, a predictable Jor-El story, you know, yeah, that you well, that know, characters. Most people actually, you know, wouldn't know the difference between Zor-El and Jor-El if you... Yeah, that's true. If you said, hey, you know, Superman's father's Jor-El... Although, did you notice? Did you ever? Did you see the um, comedy roast the two candidates did of each other? No. They did a comedy roast where they're both there, Obama and McCain, and they're telling jokes about each other and themselves that were really rude. <laughs> and you know, they they were sort of like doing their own little attack ads on themselves and on each other, but in a very you know your mama, your mama type of way, and. uh <laughs> Um, Barack Obama did, you know, some joke of, about where, you know, he hated how people were calling him the Messiah and stuff because he wasn't the Messiah. He said, I actually 
you know, I'm from a planet called Krypton. Oh yeah, I did and, hear about that. Too. So he actually did actually say my father's name is Jor-El and blah blah blah. It was very <laughs> awkwardly uh delivered, but I was just like, "Hey, you don't hear Jor-El in the national news too often." <laughs> the uh the big negative about this book, though, the one thing that that really drove me crazy, and actually the book ends up making fun of itself in this point later on, is it seems like not only is Jor-El portrayed as Chicken Little, you know, the sky is falling, right? but he's constantly portrayed as, as not only Chicken Little, but also as the boy who cried wolf, because one, I think one of the things that Kevin Anderson was trying to do in this book was bring together a lot of the, the, the varied and disparate versions of the destruction of Krypton. I mean, depending on what era of Superman you read, Krypton was destroyed for different reasons. You know, it, like in the movie, it had something to do with the sun. But then in the comics, you know, sometimes it had something to do with the planet, like internal stresses or, you know, yeah. something was going with it. There's different destruction scenarios. Well, this book attempts to bring them all together. So sometimes there's something wrong with the Krypton sun, and Jor-El's got to you know try to fix that. Sometimes there's something wrong with the 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 planet itself, you know, where there's internal things building up, and the planet's going to just explode. So he plays with that. Then there's a meteor um, that's coming to to destroy the planet. So he plays with that. And then there's a thing where... So um, basically, Krypton has the worst luck of any planet. Yeah. All you know, that this, happens in one like generation of their Well, life, one year. You know? Yeah, right. I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, does this happen? You know, the book starts before Jorah and Lara officially hook up, and it ends where, you know, newborn Kal-El is sent off to Earth. So you're basically looking at the course of a year, maybe a little more than a year. Well, not only are these constant catastrophes or near catastrophes occurring, but then there's also um, they have an alien visitor come to their planet, which this was the one part that I just really didn't understand where this came from, especially because, you know, they, they live in a very isolationist society. You know, Krypton does not participate in otherworldly events. They don't even have like a space exploration thing. They're, they're very isolationist. Well, this alien visitor comes and basically throws a, a monkey wrench into their society. So while they're dealing with that and the repercussions of that and what's going to happen with that whole scenario, they also get visited by Brainiac, who comes and shrinks Kandor to the bottle city of Kandor. So, you know, you've got three or four different scenarios of destruction for the planet all of which Jorel has gone and pitched to the council, so now he's sounding like a raving lunatic. Yeah. And then you've got two different alien visitations within just a couple weeks of each other when for like hundreds of years before this they hadn't Nothing. had any contact. So it just it all really adds together. When you think about it, it's like, well, this God just seems awfully coincidental to happen within the space of such a short span of time. All that aside not a bad read. It's just I personally could not get over the thing that it just sadly with so much detail and such a rich story and so well written, 
that why the hell didn't they make this the the last days of you know incontinuity Krypton? You know what I mean? And, and the fact that they didn't do that kind of renders the book pointless to me. I, I don't know if that makes sense, but if you're incontinuitous, do you have to wear like depends? <laughs> Yeah, maybe maybe that was the problem with this book. <laughs> Lastly, I just want to make a comment about local comic shops. Now, the town where I live, we have we do have a comic shop. I know I've said in other episodes that you know I, there's no comic shop in this town. There is one. The reason I say that there's not one is to me a comic shop. You know. They shouldn't be above the the normal expectations and and the normal operating procedure per se of any other business. You know, when you go to Walmart or you know any kind of business, you know, you go to McDonald's, wherever, you expect a certain level of service and you expect a certain level of customer service. And I think, strangely, because this is a hobby-based thing or something, I don't know what it is, somehow we seem to excuse comic shops from... We, we seem to exempt them from the other standards that we impose on other businesses. You know, if you go to Walmart and you get a defective product, you know, you're, you can return it. If you go to McDonald's and you get shitty service... You go in and complain, right? You go to the manager, and they usually will at least half-ass try to do something for you to address your complaint. Try that at your comic shop and see what happens. Now, if you have a good comic shop, God bless you. I mean, and there are good comic shops out there. I don't know if they still exist or not, but you know, when I lived in New York, a couple that I used to absolutely loved was a place called Twilight Book and Game that was in Syracuse, New York. And one that I really hope is still in business that was called uh, Ravenswood that was in Utica, New York. And, you know, now I, I live here in Georgia and, you know, there are good comic shops here. You know, Titan Book and Game that's in, uh, you know, there's several locations in the Atlanta area. That's a really good shop that, you know, despite ripping me off one time on some comics I sold to them. Overall, really good place. Usually really get good, good customer service. However... I live in a tiny little town. It's called Carrollton. And the comic shop here, I don't normally do this, but I'm outing these people because they suck. It's called Quest. And this place just doesn't seem to know what customer service is. I used to frequent this place. You know, it was the only, it's still the only place in this town to buy comics. I was faithful to them for over 10 years. I spent literally, and I'm not exaggerating, thousands of dollars in this place. But, you know, every time I went in there and it was comic day, they had to ask me what my name was to go to the pull box to get my books. Despite the money I spent and the fact that I was in there every Wednesday. Well, then the deal breaker for me with this place was going in one day and being handed my stack of books from out of the, you know, the, the pull list, the pull bin. And I'm going through and I see a comic in there that I'd already bought on my last visit. 
So I bring it up to you know the the owner operator, and he basically tells me I've got to buy it if it's in the if it's in my stack if it was in the pull box I asked for it so they pulled it for me. I try to politely to explain to the guy, you know, look, I bought this the last time I was in here. I don't buy double issues and I can't afford to buy double issues. You know, politely pointing out the fact they made a mistake. Sorry, but, you know, the mistake's on your end. I already have this book at home. I can prove it. I probably even have the receipt to prove it. So rather than being a good manager, a good owner-operator of a business that is customer-oriented, like any good business is, he get, decides he wants to get into a shouting, screaming, pissing match with me. Never a good move. Not only is it not a good move with your customer to begin with, it's not a good move with me personally. You got not military training. Well, you know, I've, that and I've also got a hair-trigger fucking temper, right? <laughs> uh-huh. So, and a penchant for ranting. Yes. You know, I for a moment, I turned into exactly the kind of asshole customer that I used to hate when I was in retail because the one thing that customers love to say to you that used to just make me want to jump across the counter and fucking strangle them was, do you know how much money I've spent in this store? Despite hating that so much, <laughs> I found myself actually saying this to the guy. So, yeah, I turned into an asshole customer for a moment. But, you know, I didn't fuck up. They did. It was their mistake. I'm not paying for their mistake. So, we get into this big, long thing. And eventually it comes down to this. Do you really want to lose my business for $2 and change? I've been a faithful customer for years. I've spent a shitload of money in your store and will continue to if you treat me right. Do you really want to throw all that away for $2 and change over some, you know, whatever the hell the issue was? Evidently, the guy did because he wasn't going to budge. And, you know, I'm tolerant only to a point. Despite the fact that I knew... I was cutting off my only source in town and within a, a, a really decent driving distance of getting uh -huh. my books. I basically told him, you can go fuck yourself. I'm done with your shop. I'm done with the way that you treat me like, like I'm a fucking stranger every time I come in here. I haven't been back, and this has been several years now. There was actually a time when you know, I got what books I could from whatever local you know, newsstands I could find them at. And I downloaded the rest of the shit because there was no other way to get it. You know, eventually, you know, I got on board with, with DCBS. They've treated me great. They're very helpful, very friendly. I know I've been a pain in the ass to them sometimes, but you know what? They end every single email with, let us know what we can do for you. You know, they never have once said, Jesus Christ, that request is a pain in the ass. And I know some of them have been. You know, I've sent them a lot of requests saying, you know what, changed my mind on such and such book. Can you drop this one for me? Or can you get this one for me? Or why doesn't your site list this book when I know it's out? You know, stuff like that. Those are the kind of things that would get me, you know, rolling eyes at the other place. But these people treat me like what I am. I'm a customer with cash in hand ready to spend. 
sometimes you got to just fucking grin and bear it. I worked retail for a lot of years. I know how customers are. They can be a pain in the ass, but you know what? They're paying your fucking salary, you know? That's what you got to look at in the long run. Well, that's now, the I thing. You know how to be a good customer, too, by working retail. Mm-hmm. You know, you I know. don't think I was ever a difficult customer, and I think losing my business over such a ridiculous... You know, it wasn't my... Mis- I, I'm the kind of guy... I might be a lot of things, but you know what? I'm very good about owning up about my mistakes. If I do something that is legitimately my mistake and it, and it hurts somebody or affects somebody or I feel bad about it or whatever, I own up to it. And this place was... They were just being just complete assholes about it. You know, they fucked up and didn't want to admit that they fucked up. And they ended up losing my business. And I can't tell you, I mean, it's it's got to be thousands of dollars I've spent in the time since I stopped going to that place. It's not like I stopped collecting. It's not like I stopped buying issues. I still do. I, I, you know, in certain aspects, I buy more now than I did then. So really, ultimately, who did it hurt? It hurt them. So, I don't know. I, I just... It really bothers me that, yes, I realize there are really good comic shops out there. And God bless them. You know, I've been to some great ones. But, unfortunately, <laughs> I would are. say more more of them run like this place than run like they ought to. I've been in more shitty ones than I've been in good ones. Because they, they seem to have this attitude... Like they're exempt from customer service, and I think that is one of the things that's that's hurt the hobby. I've I've heard a lot of talk about, you know, why aren't kids today reading comics? Or why are people afraid to walk into comic shops? Or why don't you see more women buying comics or going into the? It's it's that kind of thing. It's the shitty attitude, you know. You you go in there, nobody asks you if they can help you. Nobody's friendly. They all have got an attitude. You got a bunch of young punks hanging out all day playing their fucking Dungeons and Dragons and playing their Pokemon cards and all that bullshit. You know, whatever happened to good old fashioned customer service? Hi, welcome to you know comic shop today. You know what? What can we help you find? What can we do for you? What books are you into? I can't remember the last time I walked into a comic. Well, I take that back. I mean. There's there's comic shops in Atlanta that are like that, but they're they're customer service oriented. But I'm talking these little you know, one horse town kind of shops. They're all they all seem to be like this one, man. It, it's sad. It's really sad. But anyway, just wanted to get that off my chest. That's that's my local comic shop rant. I like my local comic shop. They still give me a ten percent discount for working in the building when I haven't worked in that building for. Oh, probably like eight years now, at least six, seven, eight years. <laughs> which which place is this? Um, comics etc. That's the one in what is that called in, in the, the village green? gate? Village gate. That was it. Yeah, I remember that place from when I lived there. And yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, De- they definitely deserve the shout out. That guy, that guy was really nice. That is a really nice shop. Well, I'll say when when I first used to go in there, and he didn't know who I was. He was very snobby to me and just ignored me and generally but once it was established that I worked in in the building and that and he was also a fan of the restaurant I worked at and liked my boss after that I started getting a um 20% discount 
and uh, I still do to this day. Sometimes if there if he's not there and the clerk there doesn't recognize me, I won't get it. But if he's there and there's a new clerk, he'll just be like, "Oh, give him the twenty percent." So that's always cool. That's awesome. And I don't buy an awful lot of comics, but I regularly buy there. You know, I go in there regularly and always. And, you know, I can always find a couple things to pick out, you know, besides unless something for for a while I was getting, um, well, we'll discuss this towards the end of this because I was just going to say, you know, you and I were doing that. Uh, this is our first comics episode, like solely devoted to comics in general. Right. And, uh, you know, you and I have uh, very different tastes in comics and like what we read. And yep. we both started at the same point with Star Wars comics, and we both sort of went in, in different directions. Where I can't remember if I've really, I've I've read some superhero books, but not like a you know I haven't been keeping up with like the Fantastic Four. I used to read the Fantastic Four when I was in high school, uh, Daredevil, Wolverine, anything with Frank Miller in it back in those days, you know, in the eighties, and there mm-hmm. and you know and. A few DCs. I like some of the odd DCs. Do you remember Amethyst? Yes. <laughs> I think it was actually aimed at little girls, even. But wasn't it Gil Kane? It was Gil Kane art, Ooh, and it was no, just I, this gorgeous I don't art. Think so. It was. Uh, oh crap! Keep talking. I'll figure it out. Yeah, it was gorgeous art in this with these weird storylines. And stuff like Longshot was really good. I was a big yeah. fan of Swamp Thing. But before I was even reading those, my parents were getting this uh, magazine called Coevolution Quarterly. And that would have a lot of, um, you know, maybe running for two or three pages. And if you were lucky, sometimes they would do a whole, like, five or six-page comic book run of, like, uh, Dan O'Neill. R. Crumb would always have something going on in there. And uh, I remember picking up a couple underground comics like this one called Mickey Rat and uh, <laughs> another one called Cover Up Lowdown that was a bit, very influential on me. It just fascinated me. It had like, you, you know, it was the first time I'd ever heard of cattle mutilations and all the secret conspiracies and plots. They just sort of all threw them together in this big flow chart in it. It was great. I still have it. It was one of the first comics I ever ever owned, so I, you know, I was reading um, underground stuff and uh, and uh, anything new was from the news newsstand or Walt Hadley. Which, if you don't know who Walt Hadley is, all you have to do is go back to our first episode, and you can hear how we like really, you know, started getting comics outside of our comic shop. But I don't know. I can't remember when it was that I started giving up pretty much on Marvel and DC, you know? Like, because I, I used to read the X-Men, and I think I used to I, I think I used to get Amazing Spider-Man and Spectacular Spider-Man. And uh, I remember I used to get Indiana Jones. That That one was really good for a while. In the early issues, it the was. early issues, and I used to read a lot of heavy metals, too. I, I had this other uh, friend that I knew in art class named Mark, Mark McDonald, and he would lend me all his old heavy metal comics that he had because he was a big fan of uh, Mobius, 
I think it's oh, yeah. French. Yeah. A French comic. And that's what Heavy Metal was basically. I didn't figure it out till years later. But it was basically re reprints of European comics. And I also had those 2000 AD progs. They were the weekly newspaper-like comics that came in Britain. And you uh -huh. were there when I got them. I got them at that auction. Yep. In uh, Syracuse or wherever it was that we went. And uh, those had Judge Dredd in it. And those were and those were all kinds of those also had a bunch of stories in them like by Alan Moore and stuff, but I didn't know it at the time. Even though I was a big fan of Swamp Thing, and I think it was around Swamp Thing and like starting to read Alan Moore and and uh, the Dark Knight came out, which is kind of like trite now, but when it first came out, it was pretty you know an interesting sort of new thing. That remaking of a superhero, although Swamp Thing was sort of their first, and mm -hmm. uh, and that's when I think I sort of well, there were a couple of years when I first started going to college. I just didn't have, well, yeah, the first my first year in college, I really didn't have time to get comic books, and I didn't have any place to buy them, so I pretty much didn't buy anything. And then the second year, I went on a field trip. And the kid that I was riding with, and I'll always remember his name because his name was Philip Fry, which is the <laughs> name of the character from Futurama. But it's oh, also is it? the, yeah, but it's also the character actor, you know, from a lot of old Universal horror movies too. And uh, Philip Fry was a weird. Philip Fry was a weird guy, and uh, he sort of looked like a young Mel Brooks. If you know, he sort of looked like an old man in it. You know, an old... It was just weird. He was a weird guy. And his father was a teacher at RIT, so he went to school there for free. So he, when we were going on this field trip, we made a side stop at the village gate. And that's how I found the comic shop there. So then I knew where I could buy comics from that point on. And I knew about that one place down by the record archive that we'd been to before. But they, ne they never really... You know, I always was sort of gravitating more towards the underground and adult comics. And when I say adult comics, now when you say adult comics, it means, you know, like pornographic comics. Mm -hmm. But I was saying the more, the, the ones that were more, um, you know, it would, that, that would be more interesting to adults. It weren't usually like, not to say that superhero comics are for kids, Although, you know, at one time they were primarily for kids, but they're not being written for kids anymore, you know, because no. a generation grew up without dropping them. Most generations would just sort of drop comic books altogether. And I think starting with our generation, I think we were the first generation that just didn't stop reading them. You know, we just kept reading them all the way through the rest of our lives. And so there's always been something to cater to what we want to read. So, um, you know, nowadays I read, um, the only thing I'm reading regularly right now, well, as I, I guess it's coming out regularly now that the second series is out is, uh, Army at War or Ar Army at Love, the Rick Veitch comic. And I love that. I haven't read the first three issues of the next, of the second series yet and Walking Dead and I used to get Why the Last Man, but that finished. That actually ended. The whole storyline ended. I've heard good things about that. It's I think they're really working good. on a movie for that. That would make sense. 
I liked it. It was um, it was really good, and I I but I sort of thought of it as one of those sort of in between the independent and mainstream comics. There were a lot of elements to it in the writing that were very uh, comic-y. You know, the character, one of the characters would say some very, uh, like, goofy, like, not quite Kevin Smith-level sort of dialogue at inappropriate times during this whole storyline. Where all <laughs> the, basically all the men in the world die, except for this one guy. And uh, even the male animals just like males just drop dead one day and so he's the last man on earth and they're trying to get him somewhere where they can figure out you know what's going on and if they can save humanity and it's it's a really interesting um storyline you know it's an end of the world storyline sort of but at other points there's other you know they really push the credibility of the story a lot and there's a lot of like sort of comic booky cliches that happen in it, but all in all, it was really good. I would always look forward to it every month, but now that's done, so it's basically just The Walking Dead and anything Rich, Rick Fage does and anything uh, the Hernandez brothers do, who did a Love and Rockets comics. Mm. Anything they I used to get all the Simpsons and the Futurama comics, but I just couldn't. I just couldn't anymore, <laughs> you know. And then there's a, a lot of people who do stuff. There's this guy uh, who I, um, he he did the movie um, American Splendor, Harvey Picard. Anything he d comes out with, which is sporadically, I'll get that. Anything Peter Bag comes out with, which is sporadically, I'll get that. Um, but. Uh, other than that, I just sort of keep my eyes open as to what, you know, right now I've got the new Rick Veitch waiting to read, and I've got um, new Tales of Old Palomar by the Her Hernandez brothers and a new Love and Rockets comic by them that's, it looks like it's like 96 pages long. It's really thick. So I've got those to look forward to. I'm caught up on my Walking Dead. And, uh, I can't remember. Oh, you know, I got I got a recent Simpsons because it was another Treehouse of Horror. And this I one always, on was it tomorrow night? I think I there's think a new one on TV. Night. Yeah, I'm gonna miss cool. it. But uh, <laughs> damn it! Ah, download it. That's what the internet's yeah. for. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think I think Fox puts them up like within a day or two, like right on their website. So you can just go to their website and watch it, and not even take the time to download it now they're starting to get smart that's how i'm watching my star treks for our star trek monthly mondays i go to the cbs.com website and uh just pop, pop it up it's beautiful it looks it looks great it's like watching tv on my computer screen you can do it full if you've got a nice you know high speed internet connection you can just watch it full screen looks and sounds great and that's convenient cool. that's very cool that's cbs.com. <laughs> yeah, they need a plug from us. Yeah, right, exactly. People probably never heard of them before. I'll just start billing them every time I say it. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Submit a... Submit you know, a, that would uh, be funny. Send them a bill for like 59 cents. <laughs> I, I plugged your site once. I think it's worth 59 cents. 
You know, you never know. You might get someone with a sense of humor who'll send you out a check, you know. Johnson, what's li- this? 59 then, cents to what? Yeah, but then they listen to our episode and sue us for all the other shit we <laughs> exactly said. Exactly. We get the cease and desist order the next day. Yep. What do you Here's got your- on your uh, to-read list? Well, oh, Jesus, you don't want my to-read oh, yeah, list because right? <laughs> I've got like fucking 50 boxes of unread shit here. But uh, oh, I, what, I, what I'll give you is I'll give you my buying and reading list here. Well, actually my buying list because I'm so far behind on my reading. That's okay. my big problem. Here, here's basically. Well, we'll just get a taste of what you're. What you're yeah, reading. here's a, here's a taste of what I get in and out every every month. Basically, these these are the ones I'm I'm more or less dedicated to getting. You know, when they come out, this is my my DCBS order. Basically, um, this is just uh, for simpleness. I kept this basically alphabetical. So right off the bat, back issue magazine. This is put out by uh, Two Morrows. Um, it's an issue just about back issues of comic books. It focuses mostly on uh, like the like the silver or like or not silver, but uh, the, like the seventies and eighties stuff. And basically, what we grew up with. Uh-huh. And uh, man, I love this book. I got I got addicted to it. I'm trying like hell to get all the <laughs> the back issues. No pun intended of of the the title because when I came onto it, they were already in the twenties, and I've managed to track down a good bit of them. Um, one that I really liked was I think it was issue nine that covered Star Wars, like a Marvel Star Wars comics. That was a really good one. The very first issue was a really in-depth thing with uh, with George Perez talking about JLA Avengers, and you know each one has like a different theme or a different focus. They just the last issue I got was all about um, um, the Shazam TV show. And covered some super friends and stuff. It was like T, you know, it was like TV stuff that we remember from our youth. You know, like TV uh, cartoons and shows and stuff like that. It's a really good issue. Um, there's these uh, trade paperbacks coming out now called uh, the Chronicles. There's one for Batman and one for Superman. The Batman Chronicles and the Superman Chronicles. They bill themselves as every. Like the Batman ones would be every Batman story in chronological order, or every Superman story in chronological order, and um, there's five of each of them out so far. And I've been buying those as they're released. They re- retail for about fifteen bucks, but if you get them like I do through DCBS, then they're right around they're like eight or nine bucks. They're not too expensive. I really enjoy those because they're they're not like the essentials because they're actually in color. But I mean, the, they they really have cleaned them up. You know, the colors are real vibrant, and I just I love that stuff. You know, I I I really had never read as much as I would have liked of like the early early golden age adventures of Superman and Batman. So I'm really digging those books, and it's just fun to see where the characters came from and how very different they are. You know, from from what they are today. You know, Superman is you know what he's like today, but he certainly didn't start that way. Right. Um, and you know, neither did Batman. Um, also, getting Booster Gold, although I don't know why. I know I'm in the minority on this opinion, but I am so disappointed in this book. I, I really, I was ready to drop the book, and then there was an event right at the end of the John's run. I won't spoil what it was, but a character came back 
and I was so amazed to see this character again that I, I mean, literally I was dropping the book with this last issue. And then this character came back and I was like, wow, that I love this character. So I'm going to stick around to see what happens. Well, the subsequent issues haven't been any better. So I really don't know why I continue to buy it other than I love booster gold and God damn it. I waited 20 years for this character to get his own title again. He gets his own title and it's just not very good. So I'm pretty disappointed. I wish they would just pick up the pace or whatever they need to do with this whole thing. Cause it's just not holding my interest. Um, I'm also picking up um, Final Crisis, Legion of Three Worlds, and as much as I was horribly disappointed by the whole Final Crisis event, this book looks like it's going to be awesome. Um, I've got just the first issue so far and really enjoyed it, and I think this is going to be, for me, this is going to be my crisis event. This is going to be the, the, the thing I was really hoping that the overall book was going to be, so I'm looking forward to that. I'm buying Green Lantern and Green Lantern Corps, but don't ask me anything about it because I don't. I haven't read any of them. I picked up at a sale um, a couple months back the whole um, oh, what was the name of that thing? The the big Sinestro Corps War. I found them all for a dollar a piece. The entire thing, right from the special right through to the end of the series. Got them all for a buck a piece, which was an absolute steal. Those things go for wicked prices on eBay. I just lucked into them, and I read it, and I liked it. You know, I just got I picked them up really just because of the word of mouth, and I read them just because I, I got tired of hearing so much about how great they were, and everybody was talking about them. I had been put off Green Lantern when they brought Hal Jordan back, but I decided to you know pick them up, and I decided to read them. Wow. I mean, I was blown away. It was really some good stuff. So I was like, all right, well, now I'm going to have to you know, be on board Green Lantern. So I've been buying them, but I'm not going to sit and read them until I've read you know, the, the earlier issues and know exactly what the hell's going on. So I'm still making my way through the early issues, um, but I'll get, I'll get right up to speed on that. Um, buying Jonah Hex. God damn, this is a good book. I wish people were buying this. I really get the the feeling this book is not getting a whole lot of support. I see the sales numbers go down every single month. It's such a shame. Great book. I think a lot of people that aren't familiar with the character are dismissing this as just a Western. It, it's so much more than a Western. I mean, even if you don't like Westerns, this is not your typical cow or what do they call them, horse operas. Yep. You know, it's not. It's, I mean, Jonah Hex is badass. They're really like human drama stories and, and just very it's, edgy stories. It's good Western. <laughs> yeah. It's it's excellent. Really good stuff. Um, getting Justice Society of America. I've been digging this book since, you know, its previous incarnation is JSA. And I've always been a big uh, fan and big supporter of the Justice Society. Ever since I discovered them way back in uh, when when All Star Comics made its revival in the seventies, I mean I, I've been a fan of them that long, so I've enjoyed them in all their incarnations. But this latest series has been really good, although unfortunately they're headed toward this big event where there's going to be like umpteen different one shots spinning out of the whole Gog thing. I'm not buying any of that shit. I'm buying the core book and that's it. I'm tired of these stupid events that come up. And then there's got to be 50 different little spin-off one-shots right. that don't have anything to do with the main story, or only the, just to try to get you to part with more money. Right. I'm not buying into it this time. I'm only getting the core book. 
If I need to read the other ones, I'm going to fucking download them because I'm tired of buying extra books that don't really matter all that much in the long run. Now, won't they just stick that in a trade paperback someday with all those uh, ancillary Uh, stories in it anyway? Yeah, eventually. But see, I'm not a, I'm not really a trade person. To me, trades. And I know I'm very old-fashioned in this, but to me, trades equal reprints. And I just, I'm, I'm not big into reprints. I like, I like owning originals. So, mm. you know. But yeah, you're right. I mean, if they're worth getting, then maybe one day I'll buy. See. You know, some sort of cheap-ass trade reprint thing just to have it, if I feel that I need them. But see, that's what I'm, I'm suspecting that in the long run, I won't need to read these other books. To follow the main story, I'm more pra- yeah. I'm more pragmatic. Like, I mean, I uh, uh, to to tell you the truth, I'm a little like with The Walking Dead. I'm a little disappointed that like I discovered it late, and that I have the trades. But at the same time, man, I just couldn't afford to shell out the money to get all the ones that I don't have. You know, the first. Well, that see that that's where I draw my line. Eleven issues or whatever. That's where I draw my line. Is that I, you know my my rule on that goes for if I can afford them. You know, I mean, obviously I can't afford action number one, so you know I'll buy something like the <laughs> Superman right. Chronicles. You know? But what I'm talking about is you know. I know a lot of people are st- are stopping buying the regular monthlies and then just buying everything in trade now. To me. Maybe I'm dead wrong, but I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I'm not in this for the for the money. I'm not in it for the yeah. yeah for the collectability. But at the same rate, I don't want to one day wind up with a worthless collection. To me, if your collection consists of nothing but trades, it, it's really is it going to be as val uh, as valuable if they were all the original single issues that all those stories came from? I just don't think they're as fun. They're not as fun and as cool. Yeah, they're not. They're not as fun. To me, they're not as fun. I mean, the, the only part of them that appeals to me more is the fact that you can put them on a bookshelf and they look awesome, you know? That's cool. Whereas, you know, a hundred boxes of, you know, big white long boxes isn't very visually appealing, really, but... That's true. But that's all just... <laughs> that's all just... I'm, I'm very pragmatic. I'm very about the reading of it and, you know getting this you know having something i like and and reading it you know although you know i don't beat beat the hell out of them or i treat right. them i treat them nice and i do and you know i don't want to say that i'm not a collector because i do you know you know once in a while you know you have you ever done this you pull out a long but i did this once not with comics but it was just with sort of magazines and oversized comics and stuff in a bigger box that I hadn't opened in years. And I, like, opened it up and just started reading it, going, oh, yes, I have all these Zippy the Pinhead comics and going over them, ah, precious, the precious, look. Oh, and looking at all the covers and going, man, what a gorgeous cover, you know. It's just beautifully printed. So I have that collector, you know. I have that, that's, you know... It's right there, you know, that's what, that's the basis of it, you know, I get that, that hit of good juice, you know, that you get <laughs> watching, I get that watching Antiques Roadshow, you know, I watch that show and it's just like, ah, yes. Don't they ever have comic books on that show? I'll bet you, I'll bet you they have at some point, but it would have to be something 
old, oh, or, you know, know. or something, or a newspaper with the yellow kid in it, or something like that. All right, let me finish whipping. Now, my next one. This is one I bet I could get you into. I think you would appreciate this uh-huh. book and really enjoy it. It's uh, the Savage Dragon. Have you ever read any of those? I've never heard of it. Is it a kung fu? No, no. It's uh. Dungeons, is I, guess, it sword and I guess sorcery? you could. Mar- no, no, no. I, I guess you could. No, I don't. You know me. I don't like sword and sorcery. I, I guess you could marginally describe this as a superhero book, but it's not really. It's uh, it's put out by Image. It's uh, created, written, drawn, everything by uh, Eric Larson. I don't know if you're familiar with Eric Larson. Yeah. It's the story of this guy. Um, he literally is identityless. He's this big, I mean, huge, you know, massively over-muscled, big green guy who's got a big fin on his head. Kind of looks like a green version of Despero, if you know who Despero is. Uh, no. Well, anyway, uh, he, anyway, he literally, he shows up in his first appearance. He's found naked in this burning field. Doesn't know who he is. Nobody knows who he is. There's no background on this guy at all. He lives in a in a world basically overrun by supervillains. And there's a lot of other superheroes, but they're all they're they're I would equate all the superheroes in his world to like the characters in Destroy. You know, they're just really wacky characters, you know? And uh so anyway, he lives in Chicago, or you know that's where he's found is in Chicago, and he's found by this police officer who basically decides this guy is wicked, wickedly super powerful. I need to recruit him to be a police officer for the Chicago PD to help combat this wave of super villainy, basically. So it sounds very superheroish, but it's really not. He's I mean, he's a cop, but he's, like, super badass. And what I like about it is it's over-the-top violent. It's much more adult-oriented as far as the situations he gets in, as far as the language, as far as violence and things like that. It's definitely not a book for the kiddies. It's hard for me to describe exactly what it is without making it sound like just your run-of-the-mill superhero book, but it's not. It, It takes a lot of superhero conventions but then just runs in other directions with them in a, uh-huh. with a more adult spin to it but it, it's just a lot of fun um i, I you know i i've tracked down issues over time and I, I was always interested in reading it and then uh frank castle on the forum basically sold me all the issues i was missing for for real cheap so i was able to get those i'm slowly making my way through the whole series now so I'm buying, you know, the new ones as they very sporadically come out. Um, so I'm not, I'm about halfway through the series. I'll eventually catch up to current issues, but I, I dig this series, man. I mean, there's not really been a bad issue so far, and it's just, it's just a lot of fun. You know, it's, a, it's a lot of drama, a lot of uh, just over the top, you know, action and stuff like that. But he's just, he's a real wise ass, is I guess why I like the character. But he. Because you don't know anything about him, you know, who he is or where he comes from, you're continually amazed by the just sheer amount of punishment that the character can take and continue to survive. 
I mean, he gets incinerated and his limbs get ripped off and he gets thrown out of buildings and all this stuff. He just keeps coming back for more. So it's it's just it's just a lot of fun more than anything. It's just good old fashioned fun comics, but with a with an adult spin to them. Um, he throws in a lot of other references to other comics. He he puts in a lot of little cameo guest appearances and stuff, and uh, just just a fun book. That's cool. Who puts it out? Uh, it's it's by Image, the same ones okay. that put out uh, Walking Dead. Um, the next one I want to touch on, and it doesn't need any introduction or any explanation. It's just Secret Invasion. Everybody knows what Secret Invasion is. Um, the only reason I wanted to mention it was just to say that I am getting it, and I want to proudly say that I'm getting this one over Final Crisis. What I mean is, when both of these events were announced, you know, I'm first and foremost a DC boy. I love my Marvel, but I'm first and foremost a DC boy. And I said, well, I can't afford to get both these events. You know, for this year, the big event for Marvel was Secret Invasion, and for DC, it was Final Crisis. So I got on board with Final Crisis. And I skipped Secret Invasion. Well, then I was really curious, and I picked up an issue of Secret Invasion when it actually came out. And was like, damn, this is really, really good. Well, then my Final Crisis started coming in the mail, and they really, really suck. So, I didn't buy any more issues of Final Crisis beyond the three I'd already committed myself to. I read them. I think they're absolutely horrible. I think this event is just terrible, and Grant Morrison sucks. However, I felt really bad that you know here was this other awesome event, and I'd missed it. So I contacted the guys at DCBS. They came through for me, man. They they got me all the issues that I'd missed, and I've been on board it ever since. And man, I, I'm digging that title. Really awesome stuff. So that's why I say I'm getting Secret Invasion over Final Crisis. Um, getting Secret Six, but I don't know for how much longer. I, I liked both the previous, what was the other book, the Villains United and the other Secret Six mini. And I really enjoyed them both. I just don't know how much longer I'll read this book. I guess as long as it's good, I'll, I'll stay on it. I just, I'm not exactly committed to it. I just wanted to check out and see where it, where it goes. Um, Star Wars Clone Wars, I talked about that last, uh, last show that we, or the Star Wars show that we did. Um, also getting Thor, I just wish it would get on some sort of regular schedule because it's a great book, but I'm tired of trying to figure out what the hell the frequency of this book is supposed to be because I forget what was happening in the last issue by the time the new one comes out. I was getting action in Superman, action comics in Superman because, you know, first and foremost, big Superman fan, but I have to admit, I just dropped them both. I don't like where either one of the stories are going. I don't like the fact that they've basically pissed all over the burn version of Superman and I think I'm I'm done with Superman for a while until they figure out who the hell the character is anymore. Um, also wanted to mention um, that I get Power Pack for my youngest because he's just loving Power Pack. So I order that. You know, whenever they come out with a new series, there's a Wolverine Power Pack series out right now that is, from what he tells me, is very entertaining. So I'm picking him up that. I remember um, Power Pack from when we were kids. Yeah, he loves it. And what's funny is uh, we went to a convention not long ago. And they had shitloads and shitloads and shitloads of the original Power Pack series. So I bought him like the first twelve issues. Eh. He he won't even look at him because yeah. it's not you know it's not what he's he's familiar with the newest incarnation, which has a more a little more edge. manga ish look to it. Oh, uh, 
and just the art style. So he'll look at it and he always tells me, he goes, I don't like the anim, he means the drawing, but he says, I don't like the animation in these old ones. So he, he won't look at them, but he loves these new ones, man. I get him those and every once in a while I'll get him one of those, uh, they have a book that comes out by Chris Eliopoulos called, uh, Franklin Richards. It looks a lot like Calvin and Hobbes. Uh huh. Uh-huh. And he likes, I'll pick him up those too. He really digs those. Before we get into our main thing, the one book I wanted to talk about that it doesn't seem like anybody. I mean, I listen to a lot of other podcasts. I have not heard anybody even mention this other book, so I want to give it a, a shout out because it, it, it's it's right at the top of my reading list. Every issue, it's called Avengers Invaders, and it's being put out. Um, it's a joint project between Marvel Comics and Dynamite Entertainment. Um, it's uh plotted by Alex Ross, you know, everybody knows Alex Ross, plotted by Alex Ross and Jim Kruger, and Jim Kruger is actually doing the scripts on this, and the pencils are by um, Steve Sadowski. Man, I'm, I love this book, and I can't believe I'm not hearing anybody talk about it. But I think the only thing I've heard about it is I've heard a couple of people say that they skipped it because they didn't like the art, but the art to me is just, I think it's fantastic. I, I'm really digging this book, but I got on board this book because um, DCP Service, you know, in one of my comic shipments, they actually sent me a free comic, and it was the Avengers Invaders sketchbook. And I, you know, it wasn't like a coherent story. It was really just, you know, giving you the outline of what this this series was going to look like, and you know, what, who the characters were going to be, and what the basic premise was going to be. I was hooked just on the premise. So, you know, I got the first issue thinking, well, I'll check it out. And, you know, if it's not any good, I won't continue to buy it. And, man, it hooked me right from the first issue. The, the basic premise is the Invaders, for anybody that don't know, the Invaders was a team in World War II that uh, consisted of Captain America and Bucky, the Submariner, the original Human Torch, and his partner, Toro. And then there were some other, you know, other satellite characters that weren't, you know, they came, kind of came in and out of the team, but it was basically these these five characters. Well, this story starts in World War II in, uh, in 43, I believe, and there's this big battle that Cap and the other ones are headed into. Something happens, and they wander through this, like, mist or energy field or something like that. And they, they walk out of this mist, literally, into modern-day New York. Now, for anybody that's up to speed on their Marvel Comics these days, they'll know that modern-day New York in in Marvel Comics is a pretty screwed-up place right now. You know, the the in the post-Civil War Marvel U, you know, you you've got two different factions basically of the Avengers. There's there's you know a lot of just a lot of shit going down in the Marvel U. You know, the characters that were friends are now enemies and. You know, Iron Man's running shield, and you know, all these whacked out things are, you know, Captain America's dead. You know, all these things going on. And then you've got these five guys, you know, walk out of history into this modern situation. So then you've got two different teams of Avengers basically vying for these invaders. And I mean, right out of the gate, a lot of action, a lot of intrigue, you know, just a just a really captivating story. I'm just amazed I'm not hearing anybody else talk about it. So, you know, I thought I'd give it a shout out. I think it's a fantastic book so far. There's uh I think there's five issues out now of this. 
Um, I would say, you know, check it out. You know, maybe, you know, it's already five issues in. It's going to be a 12-issue series. Maybe wait for the trade, but, you know, eventually... Uh, Definitely check it out. It's worth your time. It's it's a great read. If you you know if you like Cap, if you like the Invaders, if you like the Avengers, if you just like the crap that's going on in the in the mainstream Marvel U right now in the in the post Civil War Marvel U, it's worth your time. And uh, and then lastly, of course, uh, the Walking Dead. Man, that's always you know top of the stack every month. Uh, same favorite, with me. Favorite book. Favorite book. <laughs> and sometimes so think- it's the only thing I'll pick up on, a, on some months. <laughs> So I think that brings us... Well, that brings me to the end of what I'm buying. Next time, maybe I'll run down what I'm reading because what I'm buying and what I'm reading are actually very oh different. God, yeah. Reading a lot of old comics right now because I literally have boxes and boxes and boxes of unread comics. So uh, I'll give you the lowdown on, on what I'm currently reading as far as back issues here in the, in the, in the future. But I think that brings us to break time, and when yeah. we come back, The Walking Dead, number one. Yes, this is going to be fun. And there came a day, a day unlike any other, when Earth's mightiest heroes and heroines found themselves united against a common threat. On that day, the Avengers were born to fight the foes no single superhero could withstand. Through the years, their roster has prospered, changing many times, but their glory has never been denied. Heed the call, then. For now, the Avengers Assemble! The Avengers Assemble Podcast, available now at AvengersAssemblePodcast.Libsum.com All right, we're back, and um, now on the second part of uh, every every uh, Comic Monthly Monday, we'll be going over... Uh, Another issue of The Walking Dead, starting from the beginning, issue number one, which is this week. And uh, so we'll always be 53 <laughs> months behind on The Walking Dead. <laughs> so if you're planning, if you haven't read The Walking Dead and you're planning to read it, get on it. It'll be it'll be really easy to surpass our, you know, one month because uh, because you can get the trades now. And I just highly recommend it. You'll whip right through them. They're, they're, it's very compelling and it's addictive. You'll you'll get way ahead of us, and then you can enjoy our gifted and insightful analysis of every episode. And maybe when do we have that? Uh, it's somewhere on the docket. Maybe we'll get to it this week. Oh, okay. But um, pardon me while I wipe my ice cream off my lips. Ah, oh, so unprofessional. I know, I know. Well, they can dock it out of my pay. Um, you hear that, oh, that Demonzo? <laughs> that that reminds DeMonzo. me. Speaking of of, of unprofessional, um, I was mentioning to you off the off the air on the break that uh, Cassandra at work was giving me shit because I burped in that one episode, and uh, it got me to thinking. I keep promising to uh, give her a shout out. So here's your here's your shout out, Cassie. Thank you for listening to, to every episode and, and giving me uh, first-hand feedback <laughs> on all the episodes. She she does, too. She listens to them, and she, she really pays attention because, you know, I'll come into work, and she'll tell me, hey, I listened to such and such episode, and she'll tell me what she thinks of it. So that that's nice to have that actual face-to-face feedback, you know, every episode. Well, it's so. funny that you mentioned that specifically, your burp, because you remember this guy who works for DeManzo, 
uh, Steve Shortsleeve. Uh huh. Remember him? He's an idiot. He calls me up. He's all mad, and this is, you know, uh, whatever we talk about on the show or whatever, that's what he's concerned about is our body function noises going on during our show. Chewing. Why is there chewing? Why is there breathing during your show? And I'm like, do you want to come here fucking short sleeve and edit out every little breath that I... I'm a mouth breather, breather, okay? Uh, That's... What can I say? I'm not too bright. I breathe out of my mouth. I stare into space and just, you know... That's all there is to it. You want to come and fix it, you can come and fix it. You know, come on. What they pay me, I got to have a job. I got a job, short sleeve. I got to... But that's what they're concerned about, not the content. It's like they don't even listen to what we're talking about. They don't care. Well, you know, at least, you know, you didn't get a write-up because the studio smells like farts for the morning drive time guys that follow me after doing this, you know. (laughs) I can't help it, you know. I mean, you know, they're too cheap to get us any real, like, sort of snacks or anything. It's fucking chips and salsa every time. Chips and salsa every goddamn time. Do you know what that does to my stomach? Deny it, man. I'm just saying. Deny it. And, um, what the hell? What are they going to cap... Capture your flatulence on a on a security camera. You know how do they know it's you? Are they chemically analyzing it, CSI style? I hadn't even thought about security cameras. I guess I better put some pants back. Oh, there's that too. (laughs) All right. So walking dead number one. Yeah, started that one with a spooky start. Um, I just have to say, I have the my regrets with the Walking Dead are that I remember being in my local comic shop and um, seeing issue number one, which oh, has a kidding. beautiful cover on it, and going... See, that was one of the things I had in my notes to ask you about. I could keep, keep going well, at this point, at this point, I picked up... I had picked up three or four um, zombie comics, a couple that were adaptions of the Romero movies, and I never... You know, I pick up the first couple issues and I go, you know what? This sucks. This is just made for the fanboys who want to see gut munching. And I want to see the gut munching too. But they they got it all wrong. You know, they don't understand what it is that makes a zombie movie or a zombie story scary or the concept of it. These they they weren't writing it to be scary. They were writing it to be entertaining in an Evil Dead sort of way. You know, over the top gore and all that and like people with a lot of catchphrases and stuff like that not as much you know the adaptions of the dead movies but those movies or those comics would have you know the storyline but then when the zombies were gut munching then you would have like the two page splash so that was the meat that was what they were playing to their audience for and there was another one that Romero did that had some sort of you know, zombie leader, and I mean, he was like a barbarian, you know, he was talking in sentences and leading a zombie army, and it was just stupid, and uh, he was some sort of government bio project gone, something stupid, and just all these zombie comics and evil dead comics, and they were all crap, none of them captured the, the spirit of where they came from, and I was just 
lost all faith that anybody was going to really get it, you know? And I can't understand how people can be such fans of, say, the Romero Dead movies and not get it, you know? Not, or, or, or not appreciate them for more than just like, wow, that's really gory. So when I picked up the first issue of The Walking Dead, I was just, I dismissed it. I flipped through it and was like, and I don't know how I could have done it because the art is beautiful and it didn't have, it doesn't look like it's ridiculous. Maybe it was because of the way the story starts, which we'll get into in a second. Right. But, um, I just dismissed it. I was like, eh, blah, whatever. And it was in the, it was in the indie section. So it wasn't something, and then it was something I thought, well, if this turns out to be really good, I'll just go back and buy the back issues of it. Because <laughs> it's just in the, you know, it's in this section. None of these comics usually end up, you know, some something's always uh, a sort of dark horse becomes popular. But, you know, I wouldn't picture a zombie comic being especially popular. I would have figured it would have run a few issues. And then... I can't remember who it was who recommended it to me. It probably was you, or or, th- or it could have been my I friend Jack. I, I remember mentioning it to you, but I don't know if you'd already known about it by the time I, I said something to you about it or not. I can't remember. Somebody told me I should really check it out, that it was true to the Romero thing. So I picked up the first trade paperback, and that was that. I was, I was hooked. I think I had to get... I think I got the first trade paperback and I started buying the monthly issues, but I had the second trade paperback too. So like the first two or three monthly issues I got were repeated in my second trade paperback. And I have them from there on up. So that was one of my notes I had here was that, you know, despite the old adage of not judging a book by its cover, as awesome as this cover to number one is, and I mean that. I mean, it really is an awesome cover. I really think it, it's a beautiful piece of art. Yes. Despite that, if I had been lucky enough to see this actually on the shelf at the comic shop or what, I don't think I'd even picked it up off the shelf because for the exact same reason you said, because I'd been burned with this type of thing before. You know, these kind of books... That that's the miracle of, of The Walking Dead, really. Beyond the fact that it, how awesome it is, is just the fact that it has survived. Because typically, these kind of books don't sell worth a shit. You know, the, if it's got you know zombies or monsters, and especially being an independent book, you know, you're you're lucky if it lasts you know a half dozen issues. And the fact that this book is at fifty three and growing readership, and it you know it, it's, it's gonna keep going, strong yeah. issue. It's just amazing to me. But yeah, I mean, now, it had been different if I'd have picked it up and thumbed through. I'm sure I would have, would have realized right off the bat, wow, this is this is awesome. i got to buy it. But based on the cover alone, which I, I don't mean that as a slight to Tony Moore in the least, but just based on that zombie, I, I don't think I'd even picked it up, You know, which would have been a, a real shame. I'm glad I didn't see it and, and have that story of having seen it and missed it because I'd, I'd be kicking myself. Superficially, it's just so at first glance... <coughs> Pardon. <coughs> it's a good cover, but not anything spectacular. It's not action-packed or anything. But I, but you know, now that I've been reading this series for a while, 
and I look at this cover and I know how Kirkman writes and how you know thought out this this was and his story's been it's it's just a beautiful you've got the shattered glass of human he's standing in front of a shattered storefront and inside are mannequins and on the reflection right. of all the broken glass are the zombies coming at him that's the only way you see the zombies are in the broken glass and it's a great you know civilization gone gone down image with him standing in between you know the mannequins which represent what's left of humanity or what represented humanity being smashed and and the and the zombies coming in just sort of covering it up and he's in between it yep. with a shotgun getting ready to load it <laughs> And uh, I really like Tony Moore's style of art too. Yeah. I love that style. That it's it's hyper realistic, but at the same time, it retains just enough cartooniness to have a style to it. You know, I like it a lot. I was trying to think of a descriptor for his art, putting it in comic book terms. And tell me if I'm nuts, but the the thing I, I finally was able to nail it down with. For me personally, I think it's what you get when you when you cross our atoms with with say you know twenty year ago Ron Friends yes. like say like Amazing Spider Man era Ron Friends yes. and that's kind of the feel I get from this art because it's got the art atoms super detail way off I mean you can make out shit way in the background on these right. you know some of these panels. But like, there's there's a there's a panel. When we get to it, I'll, I'll point it out. But there's a panel in this first issue that Rick looks like. I mean, it looks like such a Ron Friends drawing to me. And in, and I mean that in a good way because Ron Friends is one of my favorite artists. He was artists, a very good so. facial artist. He was very good at yeah. facial expressions and character faces. That was what I well, always well, thought was the best thing about him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, uh, so we should let's start see. right out. This starts out with Has um, with uh, Rick and his partner are uh, in the middle of a police shootout, and it's obviously like outside town because they're right by the rotary sign, you know, at the out outer edges of town. Someone's shooting at him, and and uh, Rick gets shot and gets phew, a chunk of his midsection taken out, you know, just under the shoulder, yeah. like. From the, from you know from the way the picture looks, he he got a big you know a pound of meat taken out of him, <laughs> and and that's sort of uh, and that's sort of all all you see. And the next thing, and here's where here's where this probably lost me when I first flipped through it, as he wakes up in his hospital bed coming out of a coma. Right. And you know there's nobody there he's looking for the nurse and he's pulling out his tubes and and hobbling around and trying to figure out what's going on and it's pretty much you know exactly like the beginning of 28 days later yeah kirkman caught i mean i feel bad for him because he swears that this was all you know i believe he'd it. come up with this and i believe that too but he caught a lot of shit for the similarities between this opening and the and twenty eight days later uh, later's opening, which I was reading somewhere, 
this was actually that actually that opening owes back to an earlier movie, and now I can't remember what the hell the movie uh-huh. was. I don't know. I saw that somewhere, and I thought that was kind of interesting. Well, it's, but, it's, uh, it's a good way because, really, if you think about it, and you want to have a character who, you know, and not to spoil anything, but he's waking up into a zombie apocalypse. If you want to have a character who's yes? who's uh. <laughs> Who's on the same level as as the reader as to what's going on? All of a sudden, now you're right there with him because you're learning what's going on, and we don't have to see. Also, the part of it that ever the, you know, it's sort of an eventual part of the zombie movies is it starts to break out. You see things going a little wrong, then everything goes really wrong. Well, he's beyond that. Things have gone really wrong, and. You know, be, now, and, how do you feel about that? The fact that it, it, it skips straight from pre to post, and we never got any of society breaking down and all that shit that fine. you usually get. That's fine because there's plenty of because I know that story. That story's been covered in. You know, he's getting right to the meat of what he wants to cover, and and what what I love about this book is he's on the same page as George Romero. To an extent, although George Romero gets a little more, he'll get he'll take a little more artistic li- license than Kirkman will. Kirkman keeps this gritty. This is if if there was a zombie apocalypse, which is the fantastic element of the story. But if that if you suspend everything else, and you had that happen in real life, this is about as close as it's going to get. You know, he doesn't mm-hmm. really. He doesn't have people spouting off stupid um, punchlines when they kill some, when they kill a zombie. You know, he doesn't have. You know, <laughs> people react emotionally, sometimes unpredictably, but unpredictably in a way that would be make sense for the. You know, they they start to show the psychological um, effects of living in in this. In this world, I mean, really, this whole thing seems like a big treatise about how much can people take <laughs> and still be people. <laughs> getting a, you're yeah. getting ahead of the story. Yeah, but so um, he wanders. So yeah, so he wakes up in his hotel in his hotel room in his hospital bed, <laughs> and he starts, you know, wandering through the hospital, and you know, there's corpses in the in the elevator. And, uh, you know, he's out of it, so he's stumbling around, falling down, and, you know, looking a corpse in the face and and popping around. And eventually he opens up um, what looks like either, like, the waiting room for um, um, emergency or, like, a cafeteria. And it's full of, you know, zombies and corpses, and they're all lounging around and half, half decayed. That is a beautiful page i mean look at look at how far into the background you can see and all the detail i mean it's just oh yeah that's beautiful beautifully rendered and, you know and and back in the back corner there's one zombie who's just staring out the window and you can tell he's staring out into the sunlight you know just in a zombie style it's it's great it's just like you know romero would do it it's it's shock shocking and it's in it's you, you can't say realism because you don't see scenes like this in reality to compare it to, but conceptually, if this was, you know, it's just 
I don't know, man. This kind of reminds me of that Syracuse bus station, but yeah, anyway. Yeah, that, that's, that's long gone. Repla- is it really? Yeah, replaced by a shiny new one that's just as creepy. <laughs> and just and they just moved into a little slightly different, creepier part of town. But anyway, so he you know he sees this place and one of the zombies comes at him and sort of they wrestle down the stairs and the the zombie's head you know cracks off pretty much, and he's down at the bottom of the stairs with this corpse, just wondering, what, you know, I think the line is, "What the hell was all that?" And he starts yeah. wandering out into the parking lot and out into the front of the hospital and then you see that the grass is about you know a foot and a half long and there's you know cars with corpses and and uh he sees someone who's like falling off their bike or is like laying by the side of the road by their bike completely down to skeleton with a little gristle on him and they're still moving around and I did not realize that this was a, a woman for the longest time, and I think it was there was a special edition or something of number one that came out that had the script in it, and I realized that this was supposed to be. And if you go back and look, there's it's like you can see like yeah, there's a boob, and it's like a nasty zombie boob. Yeah, but yeah, I right. see it now. But for some reason, I didn't, I didn't see it when I read it the first time, and I didn't realize it was a, a female corpse. But it actually looks like it reminds me of when. Uh, Alan Moran was doing a Swamp Thing, and it reminds me of this one um, issue with uh, Abigail Cable, where she sort of like melds into the ground. Oh and, yeah, because uh, because you can sort of see that there's like long white hair, or bleached out long hair behind the corpse. So I think that's what sort of gave it away. I would love to read the. I would love to read the. Uh, script to this to see how it was written. I'm trying to remember what that was. It was a... I think it was a special reprint of this first issue or something. I'll, tr- I'll have to find it and see if I can I can tell you what it was. But yeah, it, was, it had the, the script in the back. And that might have actually been the name of it. was the Walking Dead script book or so, uh, something like that. I think it was because I think I remember someone in the letters pages asking him to do another script book. Yeah, I think that's what it was. But, uh, yeah, I like that. And uh, Rick sees that and just just breaks down. Yeah, he takes the bike. <laughs> he takes the bike, but he gets a little bit down the street and just starts to realize, well, not really realize what's going on, but just realize how screwed up that little encounter was. Mm-hmm. And, and then doesn't really shake it up shakes it off and heads on down the road and of course back to his home which has been you know ravaged and abandoned and obviously been just you know left left everybody's house houses are burned down every every house is just like a lot it looks like you know it's funny is it actually looks like uh uh, New Orleans post hurricane after uh after a year or so you know when uh yeah. the houses had just sat for a while it looked sort of the same way so who knows he couldn't have been in a coma for too long because how long could you live without any yeah, kind see- of any kind of um 
getting any, you know, I mean, they could have, somebody could have been there till the last minute and said, okay, I'm going to put a big IV in him to keep him hydrated, and that would keep you alive for probably a long time. But you'd also wake up in a puddle of your own stand with bed sores and probably not be, be able, I mean, if he was out for too long, he wouldn't really be able to move much. You, your muscles atrophy and stuff like that. And I doubt there was anybody doing physical therapy on him while he was in a coma while, while the zombie apocalypse was happening. So really, who knows how long he was out, but, I mean, grass doesn't grow that long, you know, in a week <laughs> or a month. Well, somebody somebody makes a comment here about it being... It is down south. Several, yeah, several weeks... But yeah, I was trying to figure that out too because I think it's in the next issue where he, he he's somewhere and there's actually like cracks of grass growing up like through the, the pavement and stuff. And it got me – I mean it looks awesome but it got me to thinking now that wouldn't break down that quickly. So exactly how long was he supposed to have been out of it? But I mean I, I was I was forgiving of all that. I mean it's all yeah. for dramatic effect yeah, really. Yeah. But yeah, it, it's still – yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, so he goes into his house, and uh, his house is just a mess. It's been ransacked and stuff everywhere. And uh, he finds no trace. There's nothing of his family, no no note or any. He just he just goes out on the porch and sags and just says nothing to himself. And then he's wandering around the neighbor's yards looking, and this is where that panel that I think he looks like a like a Ron Friends drawing where he gets thwacked in the back of the head with a with shovel. With a shovel, yes. Yeah, I mean, that, that that picture of him being hit just really looks very Ron Friends-ish yeah. to me. There's, well, uh, Ron Friends that. had a little bit of caricature in him, you know? Yep. The, you know, but that works really well with a hyper-realistic book like this because it really makes you see each person as their own individual character you know it, it exaggerates also their facial expressions and stuff a little bit so it's it can be more if it's done right it can be more emotionally involving if it's not it just looks goofy but it certainly works in this book and you know yeah it, it works very well and, and like the the, the the um three expressions that the the little kid has after not it's a, a little black kid and he looks like he can't be more than like six years old seven years old maybe at the oldest just a little kid and there's three panels and he has a different look on each one one where he's calling his dad because he thinks he knocked out a zombie and the next where he's telling his dad and the next where he realizes it's a real person Whoops! <laughs> and his dad's like, "Come on, we'll get him inside." And uh, they take him into their house, which they've been living in. Yeah, and, this uh, is uh, one of his neighbors. Yeah, they they've been living in one of the neighbors' houses because it was. I think he says later on it was smaller than their actual house. He thought it was more defensible. Oh, that's right. That's right. They moved into a different house. And. So uh, this is where Rick basically finds out what the hell's been going on all this time because the, the guy realizes pretty quickly that you know Rick Rick was out of it through this whole thing. So he fills him in on what little he knows because really not, there's not a whole lot known about any of it. You know, Nobody knows how it started. It just happened. 
But one of the things that really hit me on a, on this reread of of this first issue was that everybody's still pretty optimistic at this point. You know, he he's very optimistic yeah. that you know, well, you know, it's going to blow over. You know, and, and until the government comes and saves us, or until the whole thing sh- sorts itself out, you know, it's okay to live here, and it's it's okay to go and you know take some supplies from the from yeah. the station. You know, they go to the you know where Rick works at the police station, and you know he gives this guy uh, what's his name Morgan. He yes. gives Morgan some supplies, and he gives him a, a, a cop car, and he tells him that, you know, you're going to have to give it back, you know, when this is all over, you know, you're going to have to give it up and give it back, and, you know, when the, when the people that live in that house, you know, when they come back, or where, here, where is it, right here, uh, you know, the guy's worried about, you know, when he realizes Rick's a cop, he, he says, you know, you're not, you're not going to arrest me for living in that house, sorry, and Rick says, well, I'm not going to arrest you because, you know, it looks like you've actually fixed the place up. The Thompsons will probably thank you when they get back. You know, so at this point, I don't think they realize how big yeah. this is, you know, and, and, and that they're, they're not coming back, you know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a problem. It's a big problem. But since that's what we do as humans, we get on those big problems. That's what the government does. Okay, there's zombies, so... You would figure the government will come in and shoot them all, you know, or whatever. But it's the whole, you know, it's the whole thesis of Jurassic Park. It's chaos. It's the chaos theory, mm-hmm. you know, and it's the and it's the whole theory that is my favorite theory for any kind of creepy movie is that society is just on a razor's edge and. It really doesn't. Wouldn't take much to take society right back down to its primal beginnings of survival. You know, hunt and gather and survive, and that's you know that's pretty much your life. <laughs> you know, yep. And and uh, that's sort of what happened. You know, you notice. While they're talking about this, you know, the police station, the windows are all broken in the police station, and there's nobody else, (laughs) just the occasional zombie wandering around. So, really, they should, you know, if they were thinking about it logically, they'd be like, this might be a while, you know, this is really intensely bad. Although he's not in a large city either, he's in, it says, I think Cynthia was the name of his town, Cynthia Police Department. Yeah. And, uh... So he's he might be thinking, well, we're a small town or whatever, and uh, but yeah. Well, you know, this guy Morgan tells him that you know when this whole thing started, that that people were basically encouraged to to go to the big cities. So maybe that's why it's not seeming unusual to him oh, that they're yeah. not to anyone because everybody was supposed to evacuate. Evacuated. This guy was the smart guy because he. For whatever reason, he thought he'd be safer holding up where he was with his son rather than than going to this, you know, to any of the big cities. But Rick, you know, decides he's going to take, you know, one of the newer cop cars, stock up on guns and supplies, and and head for Atlanta because that's where he figures his wife and son went. And now he's got a kid that's about roughly the same age as Dwayne Morgan's kid. So I'm sure he's thinking about his kid a lot because. You know, here's here's a here's a father and son right right there with him. You know, so of course he identifies with them, so he's going to help them out. 
But, I mean, he's every bit the cop. He, he puts on his uniform, his hat. You know, he's... When when he heads out, he looks legit. He's got his gear. He's got his, you know, his shotgun. And, uh... You know, he looks like a, a state trooper ready to... To do his thing. He's even got a police car. And I, and I like the scene where, uh... He sees a zombie against the, the fence of the police parking lot, and he's getting ready to shoot it, and Dwayne's like, no, don't shoot it. You know, they're all over the place. You're just wasting a bullet. Right. And then the noise will just attract more of them, and Rick's just like, that's, that's another moment where Rick is starting to realize, you know, the depth of what's going on. Yeah. I love that panel of the of the zombie like pressed right up against the the fence, the chain link fence, and it's like its lip is hung Lips up all, on part of it and just like it's trying to eat through the fence to get to you know, it's got its tongue wrapped around one of the links and Yeah. That's yeah. just so creepy. Yeah. Super creepy panel. That's what I like about this. It knows it knows that the the horror in all this isn't in the gut munching and the flesh ripping. It's it's in the little details and the little things like that that you see, that are you know, the, those little moments or the, the the woman who's, you know, fell off her bike and was killed and but is still alive even though she's decomposed. She's still trying to like move and make noise. You know, that's just a horrifying thought. You know, and then you start thinking about it, what, you know, what the le their level of consciousness is, and and it's great. And he's also, he, and this is something that Romero sort of fell into, too, that, that Kirkman doesn't really fall into in, in this episode, is the zombies look just like people that have turned into zombies. It's not like, oh, there's a cheerleader zombie, a nun zombie, a cowboy zombie... A policeman zombie, you know, it's not like it's not like the village people of zombies walking around, you know. Oh, there's a, you know, that stuff is funny, but it's, you know, but it needs it. Sometimes George Romero did it a little too much beyond probability of like goofy characters showing, you know, showing up for comedy relief, and. uh and, and I mean, in this first issue, there's nothing <laughs> like comedy relief, right? Anywhere, you know, and, and that's that's another thing about a Romero that's a little different. And and well, a Romero movie is a two-hour thing too. And this, maybe it could use some comedy relief to sort of ease the tension, but it's monthly, so you get it in short bursts, so it can afford to be deadly serious all the time, you know, which it is pretty much deadly serious. And, uh, it's another great facial expression on Rick's face when, you know, he's just before he pulls his gun to shoot the zombie. Just that look of shock and horror. Yeah, this is my favorite part of the whole issue is, you know, he drives out of a police station and it's just all silent panels you know there's yeah. no dialogue or anything but the art just it really hits me because you know having lived in a small town and now I'm living in a small town again especially small southern town the art really 
hit me and really came close to home because this looks like it could be yeah. you know, right where I am. You know, it looks like it could up. be Carthage, New York, too. Yeah, and that's what I mean. You know, anybody that's that's a small town person can so identify with with what he's going through in these parts. And you know, he's heading out of town, and he takes the time to pull, you know, to stop his police car, and he gets out. He remembers that that zombie girl, you know, the the dead girl that had fallen off the bike, and goes over and shoots her and. He just stands there looking at her after he's shot her. Like I guess he's thinking he put her out of her misery or something, and he actually sheds a tear for her. I, I just I like that whole moment, you know, where he's he's sad for this zombie, and maybe sad for where the world's gone or something like that. And you know, you know, you don't really know what's in his head other than you can see on his face what what must be going through his mind and. He gets back in the car and and drives off, and that's how the first issue ends. But that whole end sequence to me was the most powerful part of the book, and there's no dialogue in any of it. I, I just I think that speaks volumes for the for the writing and especially for the art. But uh, yeah, I I so regret not not being on this book from you know from from the ground floor. I mean, I, I yeah. got into it strictly through internet word of mouth you know somewhere somewhere along the line someone you know, said you got to read some, this yeah some chat room or some file sharing thing or some something somewhere somebody said this is a book you ought to be reading and i'm usually a sucker for for that you know i mean if uh-huh. somebody's you know whose whose opinion I, I respect and doesn't sound half assed or what Gives me a recommendation and say, say, you know, for comics, I mean, and says, you know, this is something you you ought to check out. I'll check it out, and I checked this out and and was hooked from when I, you know, when I checked it out. But by the time I got into this, there were already several issues out. So you know, by that point, you couldn't you couldn't touch a number one. So for for the first few, you know, I had to read them as as downloaded files until I, you know, actually I jumped out. Self, which I think I came on at number number seven or eight or something like that. So it, it had been out a while, but it was you know just starting to get that internet buzz. An- you know, another thing I- about this is I think when he he shoots this woman at this point he hasn't seen the zombies kill anybody. Oh, that's They've true. They tried yeah. to kill him, but he hasn't really seen them do doing their thing. He's seen them shambling around. He doesn't know exactly what's going on. He doesn't know how, you know, except for what he got from Dwayne. So, so he hasn't seen he hasn't seen anybody getting cannibalized yet. That's or, a good point. I hadn't know, thought so. of that. But yeah, that's right. You know, he's standing there feeling. Sorry for that that zombie girl, you know, laying there and she's trying to talk and trying to move. I I wonder if yeah. he even realizes that, you know, she wouldn't hesitate to take a chunk out of him if she could, you know. That's probably why she's moving and making noises because she's trying to get to some food, you know. Right. Yeah, but at that point, yeah, he might be thinking she's trying to ask for help or whatever. Well, she is somehow strangely, and I, it, it's undefinable to me. I couldn't tell you why, but I think the same thing. Looking at her, somehow you see her, and she she doesn't look, even though she's horrible to look at, she doesn't look threatening. She looks more sympathetic, like like she's almost looking at him like, please help me, you know, like 
It sucks to be dead and stuck there's, laying. Yeah, there, there's know? not much you can do expression-wise when you're uh, that decomposed. And another thing that I thought about is, <clears throat> he's a cop in a small town. He might know who that is. Oh, yeah. He might be like, oh, that's Jenny so-and-so, you know, is always riding her bike, you know, she was coming back from the hospital. That's a damn good point. You know, he could, and that could be freaking him out, too, you know. And and it's one thing to see somebody who knows corpse but decomposed down to bones, but another thing to see it still moving and making noise, you know. So who knows? He might it might have been his wife's best friend for all we know. That's an excellent point. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, that I just think the the way this book ends is is just really to me was really powerful and 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 really just. It hooked me. I think I think it was an excellent first issue, and it's funny, like yeah. you say, you know, you never see the typical, you know, what you would think of as zombie movie stuff. You know, you don't see the zombie. end of the world, and you don't yeah, see zombie movies zombies. always start out with one or two zombies and an isolated incident, then a, yeah. and then like news reports in the background, and you know, little little like a, a plume of smoke coming up from the distance, and then all of a sudden. You know, you're you're trapped in a warehouse or something like that. You know, it, yep. it's just like a few little things, and then all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose, and it's and it's just like a couple zombies. Okay, they just sort of stagger around, but then all of a sudden, there's twenty, thirty, forty, fifty, sixty of them, and you're surrounded, and a couple get a f- foothold on you, and all of a sudden, you're dragged down and dismembered. So, yeah, this this book doesn't doesn't do the the, the traditional when it comes to the zombies you know it doesn't uh... I, I think because that sort of beginning is almost a formality that you have to get away get out of the way you know and this one brings us more in it brings us more into identifying Rick as a character because we're literally on the same we're not on the complete same wavelength as all we know about him was he was a cop, he got shot in the line of duty, he has a family at this point. Because we have I, that one brief scene that just shows what happened to him before he got put in the coma. Well, I, I think that's why the book works. I mean, because look at all the... I don't know if you read the letters pages in, in um, Walking Dead, but I, I, I always at least skim them heavily. And look at all the ones that he's had that start out with, I don't read horror books, or I, I don't, I'm not a horror fan, or I usually hate horror, or I don't like zombie movies, but I like this, or you know, I'm really hooked on this. And I think what yes. it is is it's it's the characters, it's it's the it's the human element of the story because they react like real people, like actual people, and they talk yeah. like real people. The, I, their I, dialogue I, is like real people would have it's not exaggerated it's not stylized it's a very it has a very documentary feel to it i mean i put myself in that that same camp i mean i'm not a horror fan by any stretch of the imagination you know i mean i i enjoyed the romero well i enjoyed the first two romero films i don't like day of the dead Oh, but, really? you know, I, I just rewatched it the other day and it was and and i was like you know what this might be my favorite now 
Uh, it see, really, it's, it makes really, sense too. I, I just something about that third one. I just don't. Every time I see it, it uh, the first time I saw it, I hated it. The second time I saw it, I was like, "It's not so bad." And like this time, I watched it, and there were all these things that I was picking up on that I'd never really noticed before. And you know what? It had a lot to do with is reading The Walking Dead. There were a lot of things. A lot of similar situations and and interactions between people that I'm not saying that like Kirkman grabbed them from Day of the Dead, but they would be the they would be the kind of conversations that you would have in a in a zombie situation. So, and I I'm telling you, I I was planning to watch like the first ten minutes of it and ended up getting sucked into the whole thing and. <laughs> and really, really enjoying it. There were some parts of it that I didn't like, but that was mostly just acting stuff. And it wasn't that... I, I really liked it. Now, do you think The Walking Dead is simply an homage, or do you think it's actually supposed to be taking place in the Romero I don't world? think it. I don't think it matters, because um, the Romero world... A is kind of flexible now. Now that he's had, have you seen Land of the Dead yet? No, I haven't seen either of the last two. And you I haven't have seen, seen uh, three. Diary of the Dead either. Yeah. Okay. Well, with now with Land of the Dead and Diary of the Dead, Land of the Dead is definitely takes a story in a few different directions. You know, evolves the like when I was watching Day of the Dead, the whole thing where they were teaching Bub. I yeah, hated see, that. I, I hate. I hated. Still hate I hated that aspect of it. It's now my favorite aspect of it. And the guy who played Bub the zombie is a genius. Well, I, now that I'm I'm watching it now, and with Land of the Dead, and after watching Land of the Dead a few times, and Bub the zombie now, really makes clicks. Because Land of the Dead, when you see Land of the Dead, there's gonna be. A few elements, and I know what they are, that are going to fucking drive you nuts. I know they are. But it's, a, it's, it's an entertaining movie at the very least, but there's going to be parts of it that will dr drive you nuts because they drove me nuts at first. But now watching Day of the Dead again, and the whole, the whole thing's about, about zombies being able to think, you know. that I didn't like that idea in Day of the Dead. And in, in Land of the Dead, it's furthered. In Diary of the Dead, it's not uh, um, a factor at all because Diary of the Dead is almost like a reboot. Because Diary of the Dead's when it first starts happening, but it's in modern times and it's Blair Witch style documentary, you know, on the fly. But um, I don't think this is really. I don't think it matters if it's a homage or a continuation of it because it fits. It fits in the, you know, within the narrow, narrow or not so narrow rules or whatever. It it all fits enough into anything that Romero's done that it could be a story. And it's such a big world that it's that's why um, the remake of Dawn of the Dead is. I actually enjoyed that movie because I saw it and I'm like, all right, you know what? This movie is just. A, a different bunch of survivors in a different shopping mall. Right. Although, you know, the dead obey different rules by running and 
doing all that that stupid stuff and the remake of Day of the Dead if anybody sees that don't even bother if you watch it forget the name don't think of it as a Romero dead movie remake or anything think of it as somebody's you know return of the living dead type remake in it and it'll be a lot more satisfying because this has zombies that run leap through the air and do spider-man like quick web crawls fast motion web crawl vampire things across walls and ceilings that's just like and they leap you know 30 feet into the air into windows and stuff no 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 not uh, in the dead canon no bullshit I call bullshit on it fucking bullshit Shenanigans. There, I mean, and I was watching it going. There's some, there's some actually good scenes in it with the with good dialogue and a good little twist to it that are kind of creepy that have their own little feel to it. And then, boom, they'll just ruin it. You know, I, I wanted to hate at the very beginning. I was just hating it, going, "I'm going to hate this movie." And then I'm like, "Ah, it's starting to grow on me." But then the hate would come back. And if it wasn't a dead movie, I'd probably grudgingly be like, yeah, it's pretty good. It's definitely watchable. But anyway, you know, the, like the remake of Dawn of the Dead, whether it's a homage or a continuation. Now, what I would not like to see, and I know will not happen because I have faith in Kirkman, is not having these guys run into any of the characters from any of the George Romero movies you know, or cross over into any of the storylines somehow. I would tolerate, like, somebody taking a frame from one of the movies and taking one of the zombies from a Romero movie and putting them in the background, walking around in a frame of this, you know, whatever is a sort of tribute. You know, that's okay. But, you know, I wouldn't like any kind of crossover or anything, but I don't think Kirkman would do that. I don't think he'd even bother. I think he knows... He's, he teased he's it a couple enough. of times, and I mean, it, it it was, you know, there were little homages, but other sure. than that, you know... I mean, you know, I mean, he has he has some very typical Romero strong characters. Well, that's getting into the future. But, you know, he's a very... Uh, he's He's... He's my kind of writer. These are the writers I love. Are the ones, <clears throat> and a lot of like the, you know, sub, you know, the best, uh, the cream of the crop comic writers, have, you know, literally turned to shit in my opinion, because they start thinking of themselves as great writers, so their stories become more portentous and pretentious, and you know. Frank Miller is a prime example, and that's why I dread the Spirit movie. And you know, and and Kirkman seems like one of those writers who realizes he's seen other people go wrong. And this is what I don't understand: is why more people who are artistic and who do stuff like this don't see where other people they they see what they you know what influenced them to to make what they're making now and instead of taking what went wrong or maybe you know it's a matter of opinion what went wrong with or what you know what is wrong with say the George Romero zombie movies why they are imperfect at story wise or continuity wise or whatever but um he sort of but sometimes they go wrong they go awry and they'll have parts where you lose 
plausibility and you lose the story. And I think he really paid attention to, and and to you know, besides the Romero movies, just probably other writers in general and comic books in general. And I think he's really worked hard to stick to his plan with it. You know, he made a plan to do it this way, and he's going to stick to it. And it works, and that's why it works. So he's sticking to it. You know, it's it's only by some miracle that he did a variant cover. You know, and I think he only did that with the with everybody as a sort of distorted superhero version of themselves. And I think he only did that to just sort of jab at the fact that he doesn't do that. You know, that he's not. He doesn't have you know characters with chainsaws on the end of their arms and you know <laughs> you know putting you know chopping the head off a a zombie and going there that's how you get ahead in life ha 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 and like you know doing karate moves and you know <laughs> crazy stuff like that you know or or you know or mounting a lawnmower and and running through them with a lawnmower no the the variant thing you're talking about is that the zombie variants on other books? Is that what you're talking about? Or you're no, there talk- was a variant cover to issue 50. Oh, really? And it has Rick as, like, the superhero, and he's fighting this other character that you see in the future. And oh, no basically shit. Basically, no, all I- the characters are drawn as if they were superheroes, and it's a big superhero battle cover. Oh, okay. That's not the, all right. That's not the cover I have, so I, I guess I hadn't seen that. I have to try to... S- See if I can get a peek at that on the internet or something. I hadn't seen that. I'm embarrassed to say... You have it? ...that I bought it. Ah. Because I was just so... It cracked me up so much that... Uh, There's no shame. So, that, that that he did a variant cover, and I, and I said to myself, you know what, I never buy this variant cover shit, but I love The Walking Dead so much, and I have this feeling that he'll never do anything like that again. So I picked it up thinking, well, at least it'll be, um, it'll probably go up in value. And if not, whatever, you know, I love The Walking Dead, so I have the complete run. Now, what I should have done is bought multiple issues of issue 48, because that's going up in price. Oh, is it? Yeah, it's going, it it was, it's all over the place on eBay. Don't spoil um, anything. Yeah. But, um, yeah, and, uh, eh, it's worth about, uh, by eBay standards, it's worth about what I paid for it. But it's, it's great. You know, I like, I like having all the cover art. I like seeing cover art in its, in the, you know, format of a, of a 8x10 comic book or whatever the dimensions are. You know, it, that it's been drawn to fit that, that, you know that that format and the the printing process when it's done well when somebody who draws a cover understands the you know the whole thing the whole physical aspect of a comic book and the walking dead's a great example of that it's in uh, one thing we haven't even mentioned it's in black and white oh yeah um no color you know no blues or anything just black and white um I think it Very totally works for that grays. book. Oh yeah, it, 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 I think it really. Well, it makes it, it. It it gives it that Night of the Living Dead thing to it too. Right. You know, 
and yeah, it, it totally works because you know it's zombie stories and end of the world stories are usually stories of black and white of good, and it's where all the grays of society, you know, the things that all the the issues of society can never be solved in black and white because there's just so much clutter and bullshit of society on top of it but when that's wiped out all of a sudden the blacks and whites are brought out in brought out stark relief to each other now uh i was looking here in my notes i had notes on both of the creators had had, had you been exposed to either one of these guys before either no, kirkman or more no i'd never heard of either of them because I was looking at, uh, well, for Kirkman here, uh, I just highlighted some of the the, the more well-known or bigger things that he had done, um, like uh, Battle Pope, which he actually did with Tony Moore. I remember seeing this on the shelves, and I think I'd flipped through it a couple times, but I, I you know, never committed to an issue or anything. I've heard good things about it. I have, um, too. He also does uh, Invincible. The only other thing I... I I believe I've read of his, you know, or at least that it, you know, I, I can remember reading, you know, that that I identify with him would be um, that third series of Marvel team up. But I mean, I, by that point, he was, you know, a name because of Walking Dead. So I picked that up mostly for Kirkman, you know, for Kirkman, and I liked the uh, the um, Scott Collins art that was on the early issues of that. It was a really good series. It didn't last for it was around I think twenty five issues. It was it was really good. I enjoyed that. What about um, Marvel Zombies? I liked it. I, I I read it. I didn't buy it, but I did read it. It was pretty good. Um, I, yeah, I thought it was okay, but it wasn't anything to write home about. You yeah, know, to get I too mean, excited about. I I, 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 thought I found his other stuff to seems to be comedic, to have yes, a comedic very much edge so. to it. Yeah, and it's funny, but I really like. The Walking Dead. I really like his drama because he really right. does. He does it right. It reminds me actually of HBO. It reminds me of the way HBO's been producing these, you know, these are basically R-rated TV shows, weekly TV shows that are weekly TV shows, but they're R-rated wherein they don't censor real life. They don't censor for language, nudity, or whatever's going on. You see it whatever kind gory detail or at least it's acknowledged that swearing and fucking and sweating and spitting is going on in society <laughs> and and they have the like budget of where, where this isn't an issue where you're drawing it but they have the budget of like a of more of a Hollywood movie so it has a more um they can make it look more realistic than a weekly TV show, which is done on a shoestring budget as fast as you possibly can with people snapping at your heels. So right. you end up with these like dramas like The Sopranos and Six Feet Under and stuff like this that, that ring true to life more, you know, because the characters can act like... Because people swear... You know, it's not uncommon to hear anybody swearing like a sailor these days. You know, people people pepper their words with profanities, like it's it's nothing these days, like us. <laughs> and you know, there's a little ladies that, sw that that cuss and swear. So sometimes when that gets 
or you know, or anything, any any of the gritty realities of life when they show up in something, and the, and the people who are writing it and making it stay true to that, and they are trying to be aware of when they're, you know, of from to keep from straying to become a parody of themselves, like the X Files. When the X Files first started out, I don't know if you're a fan of the show. I wasn't really a fan of the show, but I would watch it every once in a while. And and at first I would enjoy it, but then by the time, by the time before like all the main characters were gone and they'd replace them with weird other actors and stuff, you know, to just other characters to try to squeeze the last bits of money out of it. But um, you know, by the end of that, the you know Mulder and Scully, whenever they were acting, they were like overacting and they were exaggerating their parts cuz they were ha- cuz they were bored with it so they were ha- they were having fun with it and and winking at the camera and stuff and it started and it's and you know it really it really that's when the show basically jumped the shark and uh I think Kirkman's too smart for that I think he's one of those people who's seen the pitfalls that have gotten other people and he's not going to fall for him now he's going to find some new pitfalls and that's what's going to make it so great is he's going to run into problems which he's already run into but we can't get into those till we get into further issues well, but, I know, think the series is is just as strong as, as when it started you know and I, I was just dis- stronger yeah I mean I was dismayed to read some comments recently where you know, people had said that you know they'd lapsed in their reading, or, or they'd dropped the book for a while, or whatever, and they they were saying that you know it wasn't as strong. And I don't, I just don't see that. I see where it just gets better and better and better. I mean, there there have been some cliffhangers, and there have been some things that have happened that you know well, I might not have agreed with, or that might have you know potentially put me off had they go gone other ways. But you know, we'll cover that stuff in the future. But. uh no, I, I think the book continues to be excellent. I, I I don't see him, you know, slacking at all. I, I think. No, I think to he's me, got it. I think he's got it. I think he's got it figured out for a long way in the future where it's going. Not like I don't think he's got it scripted out, but I think he's got it sketched out. Well, I think he said as much as that is that he's got the story arcs sketched out for. A long time. He's, you know, I remember it was a while back. He was like, you know, I've got this thing plotted out way past a hundred. You know, so yeah, he's see. only halfway through what he had plotted out then, and who knows what he has done by now? Because he seems to be a pretty prolific guy. He reminds me a lot of uh, of Eric Larson in the Savage Dragon. Because see, with Eric Larson, the deal with that book is that's his dream book. You know, he was, he's literally been working on that book since he was a kid, dreaming the character up, you know, writing it and refining it and and everything until he got to a point where he could actually publish it. Could do it. Now, you know, everything he does, he pours into that book and some of his other projects he's worked on sometimes I think seem a little lackluster. And I think that's because his heart is really in. Savage Dragon. I think right. it might be a very similar thing with with Robert Kirkman because and I'm not saying his other stuff's lackluster, but 
I, he seems I have to have a anything. passion for this. He doesn't yeah, exactly. seem to be getting this, bored at all of doing this. And who would this be? is where his art really is: is Walking Dead and everything else that might come along is you know kind of kind of icing to that. But I think this is the project for him. Well, I also think I also think The Walking Dead is one of those things, pieces of art that is so great that this could be. If this ended up being Kirkman's thing, and it probably will end up being his thing, like Star Trek, you know, it's like a Star Trek. Mm-hmm. It's something that he could, if you know, for, for however long the run goes on, and whether he even like does a thing where he decides not to do it and someone carries on. But if it, you know, it could be one of those things that he could be identified with for the rest of his career for his, you know, he might hate that and try, you know, want people to, but I mean, he, he, I mean, you'd have to, you have to be really proud of that because boy, it's just, even to the point of where it is right now, it's just very, very nice piece of work and, uh, it, it's gonna, it's gonna end up being in, you know, the comic history books, oh, I yeah. think as, as, uh, as a prime piece of, of storytelling and uh well i'm you know i hope my my hope for the book would actually be you know as, as a legacy type of thing that i hope that this is the kind of thing where in the future they'll look at this and see this is how you do a horror book you know this is how it's done yeah you, know, you don't do it as an overt horror book you do it as a human drama wrapped in a, a horrible you know with a horrible concept or a horrible happening where it takes play on in a horrible setting rather than making the setting the story you know because like you say all these other zombie things that have come out of this still don't get it you know they're still all gore books you know they have no story whatsoever it's subpar art with just a lot of zombies chewing people's necks open and stuff and it's like I don't want to read that. I'm not interested all, in that. Yeah, you know? all the work and the art is put into those uh, are put into like the set pieces where all the gore and fighting happens, and everything else is sort of slapdash story wise and everything. There's right. just there's not much really good writing in comics because unfortunately I think a lot of people who write and do and collect comic and get really into it are kind of fetishists. And they'll fixate on one little thing or one little feel. And sometimes with some of the underground comics, I can really get into it. Because it almost becomes a journal of their insanity. But like sometimes, you know, and the, but there's some in the like in the superhero and the zombie comics where you get the people who are just like, they don't, they're not into the the character of their hero they're into a cool costume or you know cool fight scenes or fight scenes drawn in a certain way or or even just art of a certain style so the whole comic will be all about like looking a certain way and i find that stuff really dull you know and that's what turns was turning me off to a lot of mainstream stream comics Although a lot of the underground stuff is is crappy too in that same way. Um, one thing that's really good in that obsessive compulsive way. Have you ever seen the uh, Acme Novelty Library comics? 
No. They're usually, they're all in all different. The guy who writes them is a big fan of of printing and the methods of printing. So these things are beautifully printed. And sometimes they're just a comic, but they basically are this super detailed artwork in comic book comic strips that look like they're from the 30s or 20s and they'll have like these really depressing stories illustrated in a very happy 30s style and all the borders have all this stuff going on and it has all the ads like for the toys and stuff but it's all really weird and detailed and the printing is meticulously beautiful and detailed and the it it's hard to describe, but they're not very satisfying story-wise, but just as a beautiful thing to hold in your hand and look at, for your eyes to look at, they're great. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's somebody, like, with their obsessive, you know, and he has all these little cutout where you can cut it out and fold it into one of the characters from it, but they're super detailed and finicky but they'll work if you cut that thing out it will work and make this perfect weird adaption of the creature and it. it's really neat but they're ex some of some of them are like regular comics but the really neat ones are all like $30 you know cuz they're big hard covers or oversized weird and parts of them fold out and stuff I don't buy them but I always end up like staring at them in the comic shop but no, Oh, go ahead. Just gonna ask, have you checked out any of uh, of Tony Moore's uh, subsequent projects after this? No, because he went on. You know, he he was on Walking Dead until I think it was issue seven. Pretty yeah, sure it was, it was pretty seven. early on that he left, and uh, he went on to um, the Exterminators with Simon Oliver. I've got the first two or three issues of that one of these days I've got to read the rest of that it was I good. would I would hold it up to this same level I, I oh. thought it was at least where it was going anyway granted I only read the first couple issues but so far it was really excellent unfortunately I just can't seem to, to wait you know what achieve. I think I might have that the exterminators yes ooh you gotta read it because it, it's it's fantastic I mean the, the ones I read anyway were really good but uh, I keep trying to win it on eBay, you know, for a decent price, and they go for a lot because it, it's finished now. It only ran thirty issues, so it's all wrapped up now. But oh, uh, it was it was what I read of it was really good. And then he also, I think he's still doing this book. It was called Fear Agent, or is called Fear Agent by Rick Remender. Have not read it, but I'm telling you, everybody says that's the book that's to be great. reading, uh, along with uh, you know Walking Dead and, and Jonah Hex and some of these others that you know people say that nobody's reading but you ought to be. That's another one. I plan to check it out one of these days. I just haven't made it to it yet. I, I really I don't even know what it's about, but you know I, I've heard that repeatedly that it's a it's an excellent book to to be checked out. But uh, yeah, were well, you going to say that we're running a little long? I was going to say, yeah, we should probably wrap it up <laughs> until next month. Yep. Oh, we could go on and on about Walking Dead. Excellent book. But yeah, that, that was the first issue. We have infinite, as long as Walking Dead's running, we've got that much time plus 53 more weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Which is over a year. Cool. It's, it's, it's... 
No. No, no. 52 more months. Months, That's yeah, because right. we're doing the monthly thing now. Yeah, That's so, right. So it's That's right. Like, so we got like four years. All right. <laughs> All right. That's job security right there. You go. Hear that, hear that, Demonzo? You can't cancel us until we run through the walking all the Walking Dead issues. <laughs> Fucking Demonzo. They could always re replace us, I suppose. But you know, then it'd have to it'd have to be a Spanish podcast. Then when we get off the air, I'm gonna just to piss him off because he told me. And I, I'll leave it in the podcast. I don't care if he hears it because I don't think he's listening to anything but our like bodily functions. But uh, I'll give you. Uh, he told me not to give you his phone number, but I'll give it to you when we get off the air. All right. <laughs> so you definitely give him a call. And I don't know what the time difference is where he is, but you know, make sure wherever, whatever time it is, it's like 4 a.m. I'm sure you'll be up at some odd hour that you can call him. Yeah, I always am. All right, we need to wrap this one up. Yeah. Join us again uh, next month at this same time. We'll cover uh, more comic books and we'll go through Walking Dead number two. Number uno. Until then, uh, we're two true freaks. It's the free for all show next week, so expect the unexpected. Expect anything. Free for all. Expect anything, expect nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good. Throw that. Yeah, that's a good disclaimer. All right. Bye bye. Bye. Hey.